So I do have 5 p.m. And so I'm going to call our Tuesday, May 5th, 2020 Iowa City Council work session meeting to order. And welcome everyone. So happy that you're here virtually and hopefully with all of our new protocols that we have with Zoom, we won't have too much um, issues now that we are within our second council meeting uh, with this new process. So happy that you all made it. We do have, the work agenda looks rather light, but I can tell you that just talking to some of the counselors and from some of the letters that we've received in response to one uh, on our consent calendar item 8C, I know that that's gonna have some, lend some conversation amongst counselors. We also have coming up the COVID-19 update and I know the city staff wants to take some time and help us uh, navigate through that. And we also have the last of our strategic, strategic plan. So we're gonna navigate the agenda, but just know that we may wanna, some things we may put on hold, which could be the strategic plan again, but let's see how time goes. Um, so we'll go ahead and start with COVID-19 updates. And I will ask our city manager, Jeff Warren, to start us out. Okay, thank you, Council. I uh, appreciate this opportunity. Uh, so the primary focus tonight is on the short-term financial impacts of COVID-19 and our city operations. We have Dennis Bockett to walk you through the uh, impacts uh, for the remainder of this fiscal year and the first half of next fiscal year. So really that kind of nine-month focus. Also, I want to provide you an introduction on a two-tier recovery framework uh, that we hope to present to you in more detail at your next meeting. And then finally, I want to allow you some time to offer input and direction to staff. Particularly, I want to talk about some of our reopening decisions and some of the more time-sensitive operational decisions uh, that need to be made. Uh, so uh, looking ahead, uh, a real quick update before I turn it over to Dennis. Uh, a few of you have asked some questions about uh, our parks and recreation activities. And so Julie uh, and her team at Parks and Rec have been working really hard to reimagine what uh, summer programming looks like uh, in this COVID era. And uh, I want to touch on a few of those points with you. Um, one, uh, we'll talk uh, city park pool real quick. Uh, cities across the, the, the country are kind of struggling to, uh, with decisions on what to do with outdoor pools. Uh, once the health guidance gives us an okay, it's likely about four to six weeks uh, for us to get a facility prepped and, and get all the guards hired and trained. So best case scenario right now, we're, we're probably looking at opening in early July. Uh, but in, in addition to kind of managing through the health crisis, we need to think about the the economics of, of running a pool. Uh, there's a reason that governments run pools. They don't make money. You don't see them offered in the private sector too much. Um, and so when you shorten the season and you only have a month or two, um, particularly if there's occupancy limits on that pool, your revenue making opportunities are, are pretty low. And so you could stand to, to, to take a fairly big financial hit on a decision to open a pool uh, in late season like that. 
So, um, you know, right now the health guidance isn't such that would even prompt us to begin to, to work in that direction. But I want to let you know that there's, it, it's much more complex than just uh, filling the, the pool with water. And, and as this stretches into May now and we get into late May or early June, uh, we're going to have to make a decision on whether we open the pool or we leave it closed throughout the year and, and focus on use of our indoor pools. From a rec uh, programming standpoint, uh, the team is really starting to look at um, late June as the kickoff point for summer programming. We do uh, focus on small group format that'll consist of no more than eight participants in a class. Uh, so we're talking about youth sports, outdoor education, bike safety, arts, crafts, steam enrichment, and those sort of things. Uh, really uh, looking at an emphasis on skill building as opposed to organized sports. Uh, so you might see programs that offer one-day clinics or um, programs that uh, focus on a different sport uh, throughout, uh, throughout the week. Uh, we're really going to try to be avoiding use of indoor spaces for programming this summer and, and really thinking about how to uh, better utilize our park system for, for programming so we can spread out a little bit. On the teen side, we're going to be looking at uh, opportunities for outdoor experiences and education, things like fishing, kayak, stand-up paddleboarding, hiking, biking, gardening, those types of things. And then, uh, as I mentioned, our uh, arts, crafts, and STEAM uh, group will be working on small group programming, uh, outdoor programming throughout the summer as well. We do plan to uh, carry on with Party in the Park, although we'll modify that and make sure that uh, we do it in a way that uh, is not really geared at attracting large crowds, but engaging neighborhoods in a safe and responsible manner. So again, Julie's team is, is working hard to reimagine what that might look like uh, in the summer months. Uh, hopefully you've seen some of the online programming uh, that the Parks and Recreation Department has started. We'll continue with that effort uh, throughout the summer. Uh, as you know, we're running the uh, uh, child child care camp uh, and we have that we have been for the past month or month and a half or so we will be transitioning that into our summer camp uh, and it's going to look very much the same so all the current participants will have an opportunity to to roll into our summer camp um, but we'll still do the things that we're doing to make sure folks are safe like temperature checks and frequent hand washing stations making sure that supplies aren't shared and yet they're assigned to, to individuals that are participating in those camps It'll all be small group based with uh, no more than eight children in a, in a group along with one or two of our camp counselors. Uh, working our way through the rest of the, of the parks uh, operations, our ball fields, we have canceled use of organized, uh, the ball fields by organized sports through August 15th. So we're really looking at that fall season uh, to, to gear up on the organized sports side again. We'll still allow right now informal use of our fields. Uh, if if uh, folks are out there and they want to play catch on a ball field or kick a soccer ball around, as long as it's not a large group, that's okay. But we want to avoid situations in which we have spectators or teams crammed into dugouts, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, that's uh, doing what we can to follow the, the best uh, health guidance that's out there on that. Really exciting uh, for us uh, and uh, uh, for Julie and Tammy Newman and the Farmer's Market team, we have gone live with the online ordering that's available through Field to Family. Uh, I was uh, told today by Julie that I think we're just a couple of days in, we already have over um, 250 orders and over 350 people that have registered um, for the online uh, Farmer's Market to be able to participate and buy things. So by all means, 
that is going very well uh, in its in its first week. We look forward to to kicking that off. And again, uh, the parks team is working through the logistics of that. That'll be an online order and then drive through kind of uh, pickup situation. Uh, and then last. Uh, I'll mention is fireworks. We need to eventually make a decision on uh, whether we will host the 4th of July fireworks or not. We do have the fireworks under contract and we do have some cancellation provisions in there. Uh, probably gonna need to make a call on that in late May or early June at the latest. Um, uh, and we're hoping that we can offer that in, in some type of um, responsible way uh, and making sure that people spread out. Uh, but uh, the reality of it is, is that we just may not be able to do that. So that's a decision that's a few weeks out. I uh, just want to uh, mention that that's uh, hanging out there. Okay, so I think uh, if council has any questions on that, we'll do that after uh, the financial uh, presentation. Uh, and then uh, I've got a few other things, a few other questions for council that we'll take on after the financial presentation. So I think uh, council knows that we've entered this financial crisis in a very strong position, uh, and this will certainly help us absorb some of this uh, initial hit. Uh, there are some immediate concerns, uh, which you'll hear from Dennis, and uh, there's also some kind of medium-term concerns. Uh, we look a year or two out. But probably most concerning for me is the long-term consequences of this, looking really two to five years out, and how some of those changes could impact our organization significantly. And really requires some tough decisions over the next couple of years. Uh, we need to prepare for a situation in which our tax base is going to be stagnant, if not declining. And that's not something that happens overnight, um, but it can have a profound impact on our organization. If you uh, think back to our budgeting uh, sessions, one of the things we always talk about is you typically need about three to 4% growth uh, in order to sustain your status quo operations because you have salary increases that are tied to collective bargaining agreements, you have health insurance and just the general uh, inflationary costs that, that lead you to need that growth. And if we reach a period, uh, again, kind of in that two to five year range where our tax base isn't growing, we're gonna have trouble sustaining our status quo operations uh, for that reason. So that's something long-term and that's not really the focus of tonight's presentation. Uh, Dennis is uh, gonna take over now and is really gonna give you the short-term view of what this means for us. So what does it mean this fiscal year, these, these last few months of, of fiscal year 20 and the first six months of, of fiscal year 21. So with that, I'll turn it over to our finance director, Dennis Bockenstedt. You're still muted, Dennis. Uh, I'm Dennis Bockenstead, Finance Director for the City of Iowa City, and uh, tonight I'm going to talk about the financial impact that the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has had on the city. Uh, I'm going to cover a lot of information, um, so just feel free to jump in and ask questions. Uh, as if Metro, I'm going to primarily cover that time period um, from mid-March through the end of December. Um, it's really kind of a near-term look at what the impact is. Um, and, and it's such an evolving situation. I think that's the, the best part we can get a handle on at the current time. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, share my screen here. And uh, hopefully everybody can, can see that. 
Um, so just to give you uh, an idea of the, the time frame we're talking about as far as when this began and to where we're at now, uh, March 8th was the first cases, where three cases were identified in Johnson County. So we're really not even two months into this situation yet. Um, and March 17th was when the state had declared uh, it's a health disaster. And shortly thereafter, uh, Iowa City closed its city hall. And a week after that, uh, all non-essential service personnel were assigned to work from home. Um, and as of yesterday, um, currently in Johnson County, they've identified 518 cases and six deaths. So uh, this situation from when it first started to now has, has evolved very quickly. Um, the, the financial situation has been very fluid, uh, oftentimes changing from day to day, week to week, um, as more information is known, as the state makes decisions, as the federal government makes decisions, um, you know, we're just trying to keep up and, and, and stay on top of things. Um, you know, another challenge to this situation is that uh, the length of this pandemic is unknown. So, you know, it could go two more months, it could go nine more months, it could go two more years. And so uh, just trying to remain flexible um, to react to whatever the changing situation holds. Um, and, and due to this fluidity, um, you know, the situation, we are, we're having to monitor it um, and evaluate it on a continuous basis. And, and some funds require a lot more monitoring than as others as, as those impacts have been more severe. Um, and then each fund is different. It's, its funding sources is different. Its expenditures are different. So how it's being impacted, uh, each one is unique. Um, and then each one has its own uh, challenges and restrictions um, which creates other layers of difficulty in, in managing their particular situations. Uh, just to give you a, just kind of a, a big picture look at the city's uh, financial and, and budgetary system. Uh, we maintain a fund structure for all the different funds and revenue sources uh, throughout the city. Um, each one has a particular uh, purpose and, and how it behaves and, and what it, why it's set up that way. Uh, budgetary funds are those funds that we follow a budget with the state, and the non-budgetary funds are the ones that we do not follow budget with the state, and, and those are mostly internal operations, uh, such as our health insurance or our equipment fund. Um, the special revenue funds are those funds which account for revenues which are restricted to a particular purpose, and the enterprise funds are those that are self-supporting like a business, uh, also called the enterprise funds. Uh, the ones that are highlighted yellow here are the ones that we're currently seeing the, the most significant impact. Those are the ones we're going to focus on uh, tonight. Um, certainly other funds could be impacted uh, in the future or they're uh, being impacted now just to a lesser extent. Um, so we're just going to write, focus on those ones which we know have uh, immediate concerns are being addressed uh, uh, as of right now or things that we're having to take care of immediately. Um, just to kind of set the table a little bit, um, the city's overall budget is about $175 million. Um, this is the funding sources uh, for fiscal year 21, what's been budgeted. And you can see property taxes makes up the largest portion of that. It makes up about 38% of all the revenues that the city receives. Uh, the next largest piece is charges for services. Um, the property taxes primarily support Governmental operations where the charges for services primarily uh, fund those business type operations that are self-sustaining. 
And then the third largest piece of this is the inter intergovernmental. So the intergovernmental sources are those that we get from the state and federal government, such as HUD, uh, Transit Authority, um, and uh, Johnson County, and the state. Uh, just to give you uh, an idea of some examples of what those are and, and the impacts we're seeing uh, for property taxes are those taxes that people uh, pay on their property that are levied um, and assessed through the city assessor um, for residences, commercial, multi-residential. Uh, we are currently seeing a, a delay and an increase of delayed and unpaid property taxes. Uh, it's not a, a severe percentage, uh, but it, there is a, an uptick and uh, delayed unpaid property taxes. So right now we're seeing that this is kind of a low to medium impact um, on the budget. Certainly this one has potential to become much greater impact since uh, the size of this revenue source. Um, other city taxes uh, include hotel motel taxes, utility franchise taxes. Um, right now these are, are, are taking a pretty good hit, particularly uh, hotel motel. Um, Due to the some of the hotel closures, we are seeing an increase in hotel vacancy rate to lesser travels, uh, closure of uh, portions of the university. Um, we're also seeing reduced utility consumption, and, and so far this has been a pretty immediate impact um, and a pretty high impact on, on the city. Um, for license and permits, uh, things such as business permits, construction permits, uh, rental inspection permits, um, what we're seeing right now, we've had some sidewalk cafe refunds. Um, we are seeing a, a real a downward a trend in construction activity, fewer building permits being taken out. Uh, and there's also the unknown impact, um, which we, we haven't seen yet, haven't determined yet, and that is on the student housing market. And so if this condition were persist, uh, persist through the summer into the fall, this would, would have a a very high impact. Uh, construction permits and business permits make a, a, a healthy dollar amount to the city's budget. Um, for that use of money and property, that's our interest income and facility rentals. Um, you know, we've seen this where there's been, uh, right now there's really no park or shel uh, shelter or facility rentals going on. Um, we've also seen uh, deferrals of rent and unpaid rent in city facilities. Um, we've also had a, a really severe drop in interest earnings on our money market accounts and our investment bids to the decrease of the, the, feds, uh, the Fed funds rate. And, and so right now, this is really at a, a low, to moderate, low to moderate or medium impact, um, partially because it's just a small percentage of the overall budget. Um, but those revenues that are impacted here have been, been pretty severe. Uh, for intergovernmental, uh, this has really had a kind of a mixed result. Um, this includes like road use taxes, CDBG, HUD. Um, some of those revenues have decreased dr rather dramatically, um, such as road use taxes. However, we are receiving more grant income uh, through the CARE Act for CDBG, uh, HUD, and the FAA. And so this has really had a high impact, but it's been a mixed uh, we have had some positive news here, um, as well as negative news. And uh, the charges for services I mentioned, really this impacts most heavily those enterprise funds, such as parking, transit, water, sewer. Um, right now we're seeing greatly reduced parking and transit fees. Um, we're not shutting off water or charging late fees. Um, we've also seen reduced water consumption from hotels and, and other businesses. 
and and we're having no recreation or programming activities. Um, and so right now, this has had a, a very high impact, uh, particularly in those enterprise funds. Uh, miscellaneous revenues such as police, library, and parking fines. Uh, there's been reduced enforcement, uh, primarily to to minimize the face-to-face -face impact for the general public. Uh, this is a low to moderate impact. It's a, it's a smaller revenue source. Um, so it has, has had some impact, but just not a, a really higher significant impact. Um, and the last revenue source is the other financing sources. This is really our, our bond sales. Um, we're not really seeing the impact. Um, and so the impact on, on our bond sales is rather low from a revenue standpoint. Now, all city expenditures, once again, about 175 million. You can see uh, nearly 40% of all dollars spent by the city go to personnel, uh, salaries, and wages and benefits. Uh, about a fourth uh, of the dollars spent uh, go to services, including like repairs and maintenance, utilities, cleaning. And about 20% uh, goes towards capital outlay and including capital projects. And then about 13% to debt service. And you can see the supplies budget citywide is, is just a very small percentage of the overall budget. Uh, just some examples and some impacts uh, for staffing. You know, that's our permanent and temp wages, overtime wages. Um, you know, right now we were paying uh, both temporary and permanent staff uh, to stay at home, uh, to be idle, uh, to come in if they're essential or as needed. Um, we'll begin furloughing hourly staff on May 17th. And some of the things that we've been looking at uh, for mitigation or savings would be uh, workforce reduction, uh, furloughing employees, uh, delaying the filling of open positions, uh, discontinuing temp and intern staffing. Um, it's just some of the things that we're looking at at the current time. Uh, those services would include equipment repair and maintenance, cleaning, utilities, this is your travel training, uh, consulting. Um, right now, pretty much most all travel from city employees has been discontinued. Uh, most training conferences have gone online or have been canceled. Um, we're also having lower equipment usage and lower utilities from uh, fewer operation of facilities and fewer operation of equipment. Uh, potential savings of what we're looking at is uh, reducing consulting fees and services. Um, further reducing travel and training expenditures. Um, we're also anticipating lower repair and maintenance costs and lower utilities, uh, also due to lower usage, uh, fewer, lesser programming, uh, and then potentially uh, lesser uh, grant programs such as economic development um, to help save expenditures. Supplies, that small portion of the budget, really cleaning, safety supplies, plants and trees, uniforms, minor equipment, uh, currently, we, we've seen an uptick in supply purchases, primarily for safety and cleaning supplies. Um, we're also purchasing more software, um, mostly because people are working remotely, just like we are right now. And so that requires additional resources um, for people to be able to operate remotely. Um, also, uh, potential savings here is reduction of off supplies or minor equipment, as there's fewer people in the offices, it requires fewer supplies. And, and fewer uh, tools for them to work with. Uh, capital outlay is, is equipment purchases, uh, cars, books. Um, right now, we're not seeing much impact due to COVID-19. However, there is potential savings here for delaying reducing capital purchases or reducing uh, capital projects. 
and, and, and the debt service. That's our general obligation, uh, revenue bond payments, uh, also our parking uh, lease purchase payment. Uh, right now, we're not seeing really much impact from this. Um, but as you'll find out later tonight, uh, we are seeing decreased borrowing rates, which should save uh, the city some, some dollars from what it costs to borrow that money. So now I'm going to get into the the uh, the major funds that are being impacted here by COVID-19 and just kind of dive deeper into their financials and and certainly like I said feel free to ask questions and and um, there's a lot of information here so I'll, I'll try and take it uh, as slow as I can. Um, now the general fund is the city's primary operating fund. It's, it's the one that really accounts for most of what people think of governmental operations. You know the the city council. The city clerk, the city manager, um, the police and fire, library, senior center, parks and recreation. So it's it's really the, the largest primary operating fund of the city. Um, to take a look at the general fund budget uh, of how it's funded and what it pays for, um, the the general fund revenues is about fifty nine million, and two thirds of that comes from property taxes. So this is a, a primarily a property tax funded uh, fund um, and, and that really is a two out of every three dollars that comes into that fund uh, comes from those property taxes. On the expense side, um, you can see the personnel is by far the largest uh, expenditure here. So three quarters of all dollars spent in the general fund goes to salaries and wages. So there's a direct equivalent here between property tax dollars and salaries and wages that are being spent uh, for city operations like library, fire, police, et cetera. Um, just to take a look at the COVID-19 impact on the, the city's general fund operation, um, you know, one of the big impacts is the loss of hotel motel taxes. Um, you know, this is a delayed reaction since it's, it's quarterly payments. Um, so we've yet to see what the actual impact, um, but we do know there's gonna be an impact. Um, also reduced parks and recreation, senior center and other program fees as if most of these facilities have shut down and the programs have discontinued. Um, also we've seen a, a large reduction in fine revenue, uh, permit revenue and rental revenues. Uh, so all of these areas we've seen uh, decreases, um, the largest of which is the hotel motel taxes. And uh, one of the revenue sources that I, I won't really talk about, all the funds are experiencing is that lost in interest income revenue. Um, it's just across the board. Um, so I'm really gonna focus on those, those other revenue sources. Um, for the expenditures, this is kind of what we're looking at to, to mitigate these lost revenues is, is uh, reduced travel and training. Uh, we're looking at delaying the filling of, of new and open positions uh, that are upcoming. Um, we're looking at a reduction in consulting expenditures. Um, also do the, the reduction of hotel motel, we will see lower uh, convention and visitor bureau payments uh, and Hilton Garden Inn payments, uh, which we rebate back to them. And um, it's possible that uh, we could also lower our, our grant program uh, payments. Um, we're expecting to see reduced recreation program expenditures as those programs have discontinued, um, potentially reducing our capital holiday expenditures. And then also we do maintain a contingency line item uh, in the general fund, which we would be able to use to offset some of this loss. Uh, to dive a little bit deeper into those uh, lost revenues, to give you kind of a, an idea of the impact, like I said, this is out about a $60 million budget. 
So, you know, right now for Lost Hotel Motel, we're estimating uh, just under $500,000 for the last three and a half months of fiscal year 20. And then would be another 800,000 for the first half of 21. Oh, do you have a question, Bruce? Oh, okay. I was waving at somebody. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, for a loss of about $1.3 million. Um, for the program fees, uh, also about $400,000 loss in 20, and then into estimating about another $600,000 loss in 21 uh, for about a million dollar loss total. And then for that fine permit and rental revenue, um, $385,000 loss in 20, and another 870 in 21 for about $1.25 million. So our, our total estimated losses, and, and like I said, a lot of this is, is kind of best guesses of, of the information we have right now, about $1.3 million in 20, and about $2.3 million in, in 21. And also just say that this is kind of projecting at what's going on now and anticipating it would stay this way through the end of the year. So uh, like I said, there could be changes in this if, if things would begin to, to, to tick upward or downward. Um, so did this give you uh, how that, as far as the whole fund is concerned, how that impact looks? For fiscal year 20, we had a budgeted uh, ending unassigned fund balance of $26.3 million or 37% of revenues. Um, so we're looking at uh, an impact of revenue impact of about of minus 1.3 million. And uh, we believe that we can identify expenditure and offsets uh, of about that same dollar amount, which would leave us at approximately the same ending unsigned fund balance at the end of the year of $26.3 million or 37% of revenues. Um, so uh, you know, right now for fiscal year 20, we believe that we can uh, take what's going on, make adjustments and, and absorb that impact. For fiscal year 21, um, you know, we're looking at a, a, another estimated ending fund balance of $26.3 million or 36% of revenues uh, and transfers in uh, with no impact in 20 being carried forward. Um, we estimated $2.3 million impact in revenue for next year. And then um, once again, we believe we can go in and, and identify uh, delayed expenditures, cuts, um, and other other adjustments uh, to offset that. Um, you know, now this is, is something that you know the revenue impact could be worse, and and or we could uh, reduce these impacts and and use fund balance. Uh, but right now, we're looking at making adjustments that could offset that lost revenue and keep us in the same financial position um, as when this began. Um, moving on to the road use tax fund. Uh, the road use tax fund is a special revenue fund that tracks and accounts for these transportation taxes that uh, that we receive from the state that they put on a gasoline vehicle sales, um, your state licensing, and uh, they distribute those to us monthly. And those are restricted to our street right of way expenditures. Uh, that includes you know snow removal street cleaning, your traffic signals, uh, street lights, engineering, your, your street and storm water repairs. Uh, currently, the state's estimating about a 25% reduction in these revenues. Uh, it is possible that these could be much more severe. It really just depends on um, you know, what is going on with travel and, and fuel and auto sales. 
Um, but right now, just their their best guess was a 25% reduction. And so just to give you a look at those dollars, how they fit into this budget, 99% of their budget, uh, about $8.9 million comes from those transportation taxes. So it's a, it's a direct correlation between those taxes and the operation of this fund. Um, so if you look at how, how we use those dollars, uh, about a third goes towards the personnel, uh, the people out there plowing snow and, and patching holes. About a third goes towards services and supplies, which really primarily reflects uh, equipment usage in this, uh, in this uh, division. And then about a third goes to uh, transfers to capital projects, uh, the biggest piece of which is your annual overlay program. So to summarize that the COVID-19 impact, we're looking at reduced road use tax collections about 25%. Uh, and really what we're looking to mitigate that is really a reduction of uh, transfers out of the capital improvement program. So this is really reducing the amount of dollars uh, that are being spent on capital projects. Uh, however, the emphasis on that is to try and preserve as much of the pavement repair program as possible. Um, so just kind of go uh, deeper into the numbers. So we're estimating about $550,000 loss in 20 and about $1.25 million in 21 for a total of $1.8 million over a nine and a half month period. Uh, so pretty significant dollar loss here. And to look at the impact of the, that fund, um, we were estimated by a $2.1 million ending fund balance uh, to start with, or 24% of revenues. Um, reduced that uh, $550,000 of lost revenue. To mitigate that, right now we're looking at uh, cutting really two projects. One is the salt sand bunkers at the new public works facility, and then also reducing some of the Panda Zoom cameras uh, in that uh, particular traffic signals project, uh, which is about a $500,000 offset. So we see a slight reduction in fund balance of 2.12 million, uh, or still 23% of revenues, which is, which is a, a decent fund balance. Um, for next year, we were uh, projecting an ending fund balance of 1.6 million. Uh, we carry for that net impact of a, a $50,000 loss. Um, and then we, we apply that estimated loss of $1.25 million. Um, and we currently, currently haven't identified any uh, expenditure mitigation here or, or project offsets, which brings that would bring that fund balance down to $300,000 or 3% of revenues. And, and really, uh, that uh, would be at an unacceptable level. Um, that would probably put us in a negative cash situation at the end of next year. Um, so there likely would have to be some offsets or capital project reductions. Um, and really the, the most sizable project to go to would be the annual payment program. Um, it's just gonna be our attempt over this next few months or year to, to try and maintain as much of that program as possible uh, to full funding. Uh, to move on to the this is parking fund. Um, this is really maintains all the these parking operations from parking meters to ramps to on-street parking. Uh, the parking system is, a, is an enterprise fund. It's fully self-sustaining like a business. Uh, it receives no subsidy from taxes or any other source. Um, it does have a lease purchase that was for the Harrison Street parking garage. Uh, and its requirement as part of that lease, that contract is to maintain 
on net revenues in excess of 1.25 1.25 times the annual lease payment. And what that means is your revenues have to be greater than your expenses by 1.25 times the amount of that lease payment. And in the past, uh, the, the fund has been pretty easily been able to do this. Um, so we're looking at the parking fund revenues expenses. You can see pretty much uh, 94, 98% of the, the parking fund revenues come, parking fund comes from those parking sources, service charges, uh, permit fees, uh, parking fines, um, and the meter revenue. And how that money is spent, about a quarter goes to personnel, uh, about a third to, to uh, repairs and maintenance, utilities and other services, and about 43% to debt service. I will mention that, that this is a little skewed because we did budget an additional $2 million early call on the lease for next year. Um, so if you took out that $2 million, you'd see an adjustment in those percentages to a much larger percentage going towards personnel and, and services. Um, so the impact of COVID-19, uh, we're looking at about a 90% reduction in parking revenue. So as about as severe as a revenue reduction as, as a fund could, could have. Um, and so what, we're, what we need to do to, to mitigate this, we're really looking to reduce all transfers, uh, capital project transfers, um, postpone eliminate all types of uh, non-essential spending. Um, or discretionary spending, uh, delaying or filling of open positions. Uh, we're also evaluating uh, the early call of the remaining lease um, to utilize uh, some of the, the cash we have on hand um, and to bring down that, that ongoing operating cost. Um, to look at the next three or through the end of this fiscal year, about a $1.86 million loss in parking revenue Another 2.4 million in 21 for a total of a 4.2 million dollar of lost revenue, and and what this does to the funds fund balance operation. So uh, currently we were estimating about a 4.2 million dollar fund balance at the end of the year, 68 percent of revenues, which is which was very healthy, very strong. Um, we reduced that revenue impact of 1.8. Uh, we have currently identified expenditures and offsets of about 400,000. So that brings us down to $2.77 million estimated ending fund balance or 44% of revenues. It's still very healthy, but it's, it's a very sharp drop in a short period of time. And you'll notice that our debt coverage here uh, falls below the 1.25 requirement to just 0.25. And so this, uh, if we did nothing else, we would anticipate that we would not be, meet uh, the covenants on that lease purchase agreement. Uh, for, for fiscal year 20. And if we carry that forward into 21, um, we would end our fund balance, originally projected ending at 3.9 million or 66% of revenues. Uh, we carry for that net loss of 1.46, add an additional uh, revenue loss of 2.4. Um, we've also identified additional capital projects and expenses that we could reduce about 1.3 million. And this leaves us at a a new projected ending fund balance of 1.37 million or 23% of revenues, which still is, is adequate, it's sufficient. However, our debt coverage actually goes negative um, to minus 0.1 times our annual debt payment. And so just as far as our ability to meet our, our uh, 
uh, debt covenant commitments uh, will be strained uh, due to the loss of revenue here. Okay, uh, moving on to the transit fund. Uh, this really accounts for the operations of the city's transit system. You know, our paratransit, fixed bus routes. Uh, this also has a parking ramp. It has the Court Street Transportation Center, uh, which they do lease space out of uh, for private enterprise. Um, this is also an enterprise fund. However, it is subsidized by property taxes. Uh, it also subsidized by state and federal uh, support. Uh, it's currently operating a, a, a slightly scaled back model from its normal uh, model, operating model. Um, the transit fund was also the beneficiary of some of the CARES Act funding and uh, we're estimating about a $5.1 million of, of grant funding, additional grant funding from the federal government uh, that will come into this operation. Um, so just take a look at the transit fund and, and how it's funded. Uh, nearly half or 49% it comes from the transfers in from property taxes. Uh, about a quarter of it comes from charges for services or transit fares and passes and about a quarter um, from intergovernmental or state and federal sharing um, that helps support this activity. And how that's spent, about 57% goes towards personnel, that's you know, bus drivers and mechanics, and about a third towards services such as equipment repair and maintenance and facility uh, utilities. Um, so the impact that we're seeing on the transit fund, uh, the bus fares and passes have been reduced substantially. In addition, the uh, Court Street Transportation Center, uh, the parking charges have been greatly decreased. Um, how, some of the things we're looking at to help mitigate this is uh, we are having lower equipment and maintenance costs uh, due to fewer use of equipment or lesser use of equipment, and then also possibly delaying the filling of, of open positions. So to look at the, the dollars of, of that impact, uh, for bus fares, we'd be looking at a, a decrease of about $350,000 of revenue for three and a half months another 608,000 for the rest of the, from July through December, the rest of the calendar year, for nearly a million dollar loss uh, in bus fares and passes. And for the parking ramp for the Court Street uh, Transportation Center, uh, loss of about $223,000 of revenue in 20, uh, another 385,000 in 21 for a total loss of 607,000. And in 20, that amounts to about 573, and in, 21, about $993,000. So when we apply that against uh, our original budget projections, um, you know, we're looking, we started with a projected ending fund balance of $1.5 million or 18% of revenues and transfers in. Uh, we applied the estimated revenue loss. We have identified expenditure mitigation of about 300,000. That brings us down to about a $1.2 million fund balance or 15% of revenues. Uh, that is a sufficient fund balance. However, uh, with the CARES funding that would be coming in, we would potentially be able to use some of that money to offset uh, those lost revenues. Um, for fiscal year 21, we had projected an ending fund balance of about 1.75 million. Um, applying that net deficit from 20, uh, an additional revenue loss of the 993. Uh, we have identified uh, other expenditure offsets of about 200,000. This gives us a new ending fund balance of about $685,000 or 8% of revenues and transfers in. And 
And once again, this is, is getting pretty low. This is probably lower than you would want your fund balance to get. Usually, you know, 15 to 20% is, is, is considered healthy. Um, and once again, uh, we are anticipating funding coming in from the CARES Act of up to $5.1 million, which could be used to shore up uh, this operation. And uh, the last fund I'm going to uh, talk about uh, tonight is the water fund, which accounts for the city's water utility operations. Um, it's also a self-sustaining business-like activity. Uh, the water fund does also have uh, debt and debt covenants. Um, you know, their, their net revenues or revenues minus expenses must exceed 1.1 times its annual bond payment. And also, um, you know, due to some of the the challenges we were foreseeing with Procter & Gamble moving its personal care product lines, we had already adopted a 5% rate increase up for July 1st uh, of this year. Um, so the water fund, much like most of these enterprise funds, are highly dependent on, on their service charges. 97% uh, of the water fund is funded through service charges and fees. And a similar breakdown where you got a third going to personnel a third to services, and then uh, the rest, the other third split to debt service and uh, capital outlay and supplies. So the impact we're right now we're seeing on the water fund is, you know, we're not shutting off people's water. We're not charging late fees or shut off notices. So we've uh, discontinued bringing in income from those sources. We're also seeing reduced water consumption, uh, particularly from the business sector. Um, and also, uh, it's potential, uh, we could potentially delay the July 1st rate increase, um, possibly looking at three months, um, and it could be up to maybe six months. Um, uh, right now, for expenditure mitigation, we've, we've not identified any at this time. Uh, so to give you kind of a dollar and cents on this, for those late fees and shut-off notices, uh, we're gonna lose about $140,000 of revenue in 20, in just three and a half months of 20, and then about another $240,000 for the first six months of 21. So total lost revenue, about $380,000. Um, due to the reduced water consumption, right now we're about 8% under the five-year average for water consumption. Um, so it's about another $210,000 of, of lost revenue this year and $360,000 additional lost revenue in 21. And then if uh, we delay that rate increase, that 5% rate increase for three months, there'd be no impact for 20, uh, but another loss of about $110,000 in 21. Uh, so there's your 20 and 21 totals of 350 and 710. And to look at our bottom line, um, so we were projecting a fund balance about $5.7 million or 59% of revenues, which is uh, it's again very healthy. Um, reduce that revenue offset uh, brings us down to $5.3 million uh, projected ending fund balance. Still very healthy, 56% of revenues. However, our debt coverage uh, drops to 1.21, uh, but it's still sufficient to cover our 1.1 requirement. Uh, for 21, um, we were also projected about a $5.7 million ending fund balance. Carry forward that loss from 20. Um, also, the additional lost revenue of 710000 brings us down to about a $4.6 million ending fund balance. Uh, actually, this one's still healthy, 
Our revenues, however, our debt coverage drops to a 1.1 times our annual uh, bond payment. And so this is cutting it really close. Um, we wouldn't really be able to experience much more losses or elevated expenditures um, without really pushing that, that debt coverage requirement. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the emergency fund. Uh, this was a fund we set up in 2013 really to deal with emergencies just such as this. Um, and we do have certain restrictions that we place on that fund, um, our uses of it as part of the city's financial policy. Um, you know, one of those uses is to provide natural other disaster response or mitigation funding or interim loans. And so this would certainly qualify as, as a disaster as the state has declared it. Um, it's also uses to mitigate fluctuations and sudden revenue loss. Um, such as the backfill or other operating assistance. Uh, also could be used to mitigate pension, insurance or other healthcare funding anomalies, emergency or spikes. Um, also to avoid any defaults from the payment of long-term debt. Um, uh, also could be used to assist in the rehabilitation or replacement of depreciated or outdated buildings to avoid the issuance of long-term debt. Uh, and it could also be used for any other financial emergencies as declared by the city council. Uh, to date, we've only used this uh, a couple times uh, to purchase and clear homes and property within the floodplains, approximately $900,000 of expenditures uh, between fiscal year 2018 and 2020. And we're projecting a, a balance at June 30th of 2020 of about $5.2 million uh, in this emergency fund. Uh, just to kind of give you a, a summary of, of these different funds and what we're seeing impacted by the COVID-19. Uh, the general fund's gonna experience broad-based revenue declines. Uh, right now we're looking at expenditure cuts and spending freezes to, to mitigate those lost revenues. And at this point, we think that is adequate, that that will take care of it. Um, should the revenue situation get worse or the property taxes, other state mandates or what have you, uh, uh, create a, a more dire situation, we may have to come back and take a look at other measures in the general fund. For road use tax fund, you know, we're looking at a 25% or greater reduction in revenue. Uh, that's going to take a major hit to this fund. It's going to require significant capital improvement project reductions uh, to offset that. And uh, much of that's not been determined. And, and uh, hopefully we'll start to see uh, the impact of those revenues as, as each month goes by. Um, or if the state would be able to hopefully provide us greater guidance on what they're seeing. Uh, the parking fund is experiencing a near total revenue loss. It's going to require all available measures to meet its debt covenants. And then in addition to that, uh, the fund is going to be losing cash at a, as a, at a somewhat severe rate. And so in, in addition to just meeting debt covenants, it's going to, have to take measures just to avoid uh, basically running itself out of cash. Uh, the transit fund, uh, we are seeing a sharp drop in operating revenues. However, the, the CARES Act has provided funding for this system and we should be able to use that to mitigate uh, lost revenues that we're losing from operations. Uh, the water fund, uh, we are seeing reduced consumption, also reduced late and shutoff fees. They've all declined uh, as we're not charging them and not shut off and also just lower commercial activity. Um, also, we're looking at possibly postponing the July 1st rate increase. 
Um, and right now we're only looking to use available fund balance to mitigate. Uh, we will have to continue to monitor those debt covenants to ensure that we are, are compliant. And then also uh, the emergency fund is available. Um, you know, you can only use those dollars once, so to speak. So we certainly would want to be strategic, uh, but they could be used for disaster response, uh, mitigation funding, and also for interim loans. So the bottom line, um, the situation is fluid. The situation is, was continually changing and still changes. Um, you know, like I said, daily, weekly, we get more information, more news, uh, others, other things that the state and the federal government are doing. Uh, the impact across various funds is uneven. Uh, some require greater mitigation or having greater impact uh, due to these events. Um, also, these financials uh, are requiring continuous monitoring and evaluation as as information comes in and as we learn things, we, we constantly need to be going in and, and seeing what the impact of that is. Um, also, uh, the duration of this is unknown and, and that's uh, a very stressful part of it is that we don't know when this is gonna end. So we really have to, to hopefully make plans for, for a long duration, um, even though tonight I'm primarily talking about that nine and a half month period. And then uh, one thing, uh, we, we don't know if other funds could start to experience difficulties, if property tax revenues um, have become an issue uh, or if other events would take place, there could be other funds yet that could experience financial difficulties such as our employee benefits fund, our debt service fund, uh, or other tax supported funds. Um, and I will try to answer any questions you have, otherwise I will uh, pass it back to Jeff and um, and uh, he can uh, continue the discussion. I imagine there might be questions from council, but maybe Jeff, if you wanted to chime in first and then maybe we'll come back to include all questions at the end. Sounds great. Uh, thanks, Mayor. Uh, thanks, uh, Dennis, as well, for, for the update. Um, I've got a, a tough transition to make here because just we talked about how challenging financially, financially it's going to be uh, in, in the both short term and long term. Um, I also recognize that there's a, a desire uh, for the council to explore ways in which we can help the community recover and ways we can help our residents recover, ways we can help nonprofits in the business community recover. So. We are, I want to let you know that we are working on a recovery framework. And while we don't know the full financial, we don't know if we'll have the, the full financial capacity to do so, we definitely want to be prepared on that, on that front. So um, we are working on that. We hope to present that to you uh, on May 18th. Again, I don't think we're going to be able to make any decisions on, on recovery activities until the financial situation becomes a little bit more clear. But um, on the 18th, I hope to get some clarity from you on maybe some strategies that, uh, uh, that, that you're interested in, in staff exploring in a little bit more detail. So there are two different recovery frameworks that we're looking at. Uh, one is uh, regional or Johnson County based in nature and is being spearheaded by the um, kind of the collaborative economic development group. That's Think Iowa City, the Business Partnership, the Downtown District and ICAD. Uh, they are pulling together a, a team of folks uh, from all the cities county, 
uh, nonprofit sector, business sector, to really look at how we can work uh, as a region uh, to uh, rebound as quickly and as, as, as strong as we can from this disaster. And one of the things I'd like the, the council to consider tonight is a representative, appointing a representative from the council uh, to serve with me on this uh, regional um, body or task force that, that's going to be uh, formed and, and get to work here in the next uh, couple of weeks. The second tier that I want to really focus on on the May 19th meeting is, is just our recovery for a city. What can we do as a city to help, again, our residents, our businesses, and our nonprofits? And, of course, this assumes that the council makes the financial, makes the determination that we're, we're financially able to do so. Uh, but we'll have uh, uh, an overview of some different options and things that we're looking at here internally uh, for you to uh, think about and offer comments on on May 19th. Uh, so to wrap things up tonight, I want to get your uh, feedback on a few issues. Certainly anything that you heard from me or Dennis tonight, we, we uh, can help clarify, answer questions uh, about. Um, but also would love to get your thoughts on um, reopening plans. Um, you know, as we have through this whole process, we're going to rely on the health guidance that we're getting from Johnson County Public Health. Uh, the Iowa Department of Public Health and the CDC on making these decisions. But if you feel strongly as a group that we should be particularly aggressive in one area or conservative in an area, that uh, general guidance will, will help me as I make decisions on reopening um, in a way that's aligned with Governor Reynolds' um, uh, future orders. We are working on physical modifications to our workspaces so, uh, and, and securing all the PPE we need so that uh, we are prepared to open up safely when that time comes. Uh, one thing you heard Dennis mention tonight was um, the uh, uh, sidewalk cafe fees that we collect. Uh, that's a, usually about a $50,000 revenue. So it's a pretty small revenue, but, but certainly um, uh, one that has been important to us in the past. Uh, the last few years, uh, we have waived this fee several times uh, because of the construction challenges downtown and some of the limited cafe seasons that we've had because of the Ped Mall or the Washington Street project. Uh, staff would like to suggest that the council again waive those fees this year. And with the prospect of, of restaurants opening up soon, um, we would like to get that, uh, that underway. So I'd like to get your feedback on whether you're comfortable extending a, a cafe uh, waiver uh, for for this year. Obviously, the use of cafes will be governed uh, in accordance with public health guidance. So if we have to have fewer tables and chairs, we will work with uh, the individual businesses to make sure that we achieve that. I think from a business standpoint, um, people are going to be very interested in um, probably dining outside as much as possible if it's spread out uh, more so than indoors. So I, I expect that we'll be working with the downtown district on, on some creative ways to, to safely provide people uh, to visit their, their, their favorite restaurants or, or retail options by using more of the outside space this year. And then uh, as Dennis mentioned, uh, we do believe that uh, should the council be interested in it, we can delay our water rate increase of 5% uh, another three months. Uh, I would suggest that we just start at a three-month period, and then as, as we uh, get closer to October, we uh, reevaluate at that time whether we want to extend it another, another three months. We do need that rate increase. Again, this is largely in response to a lot of Procter & Gamble's production moving out to West Virginia. 
um, but that that uh, transition has been slower than we anticipated when we set that rate increase. So I think we could we could safely do that with our reserve balance. So those are the three things there at the end, the reopening plans, the sidewalk cafes and the water water rate delay that I'd like to get some feedback on tonight. And I'll turn it back over to the mayor for the council discussion. Thanks to both you and Dennis for this in-depth um, projection of what we're looking at for, for city funds. Really appreciate all of the time spent by staff to give us a, a picture of what we be dealing with of course they're all projections and so want to open it up of course to council now to chime in i do have some thoughts but i'll kind of wait till the end I don't, um this is janice weiner I, I have a couple of questions about what we do or don't know about uh what the state is planning to do uh, do we have um, Dennis, or, or have we heard anything about uh, payment of the backfill and as to whether the, the state continues, uh, intends at this point to continue paying the backfill, maybe because the, the legislature has been out of, out, uh, out of session, we don't have any sense of that. Um, and do we have any sense that the, I know that there are a fair number of dollars from the CARES Act and probably from some of the other from some of the other legislation that Congress has been passing that will flow to Des Moines, but not directly necessarily to any of the cities? Do we have any sense of what the thinking is in Des Moines with respect to helping the cities out? Well, um, I can try and address some of what I know about that. Um, for, for the year, we received our backfill already for fiscal year 2020. Uh, they paid that out in two payments uh, throughout the year, and we've received both of those payments for fiscal year 20. Um, although it was lower than what um, the estimate they gave us at the start of the year, uh, we have received whatever monies we're going to get already. Um, what they will do next fiscal year is completely up in the air. Uh, we've not, at least I've not heard anything. And so um, I would say it's possible they could cut all of those revenues next year, but we've not heard that yet. And then I'll let Jeff address the, the state funding um, as far as the dollars they're getting and what they're doing with it. Yeah, um, real quick on the backfill, any um, removal or reduction in the backfill will take uh, an act of the state legislature and then approval by the governor. So uh, the, the state legislature has obviously been adjourned. Uh, we have not heard any rumors that, that that's on the table. Um, so I don't, I don't think we're at risk of losing backfill for, fiscal year 21, uh, but of course, you know, in an emergency situation, uh, I'm sure the state legislature will do everything they, they can, they feel is, is, is needed to secure uh, their own uh, financial situation. But I, I would say I think, feel pretty good about the backfill going forward uh, for next year. Um, the, um, the CARES Act did provide 1.25 billion to the state of Iowa um, and uh, the state of Iowa will have the discretion on whether they want to forward any of that to local governments. So this was state and local government relief dollars. And the way the CARES Act was put together was cities of 500,000 or more in population could apply directly to the federal government for those funds. If you're under 500,000, which is every city in Iowa, you have to work through your state. And the states are not obligated to pass that money down. Uh, they have pretty wide range on how they can use those funds. 
And uh, we expect that that'll be a topic of conversation when the legislature uh, comes back together uh, in May or June, uh, probably June. Um, but I wouldn't, at least at this point, I wouldn't hold out a lot of hope for those dollars. I think there's going to be a lot of competition between hospitals and the education system and the state budget itself. Remember, the state budget is um, primarily made up of revenues that have more immediate impact than property taxes. They rely heavily on sales tax. They rely heavily on income tax. And their their financial pain points are going to be a lot more immediate than, than some of ours. So I don't hold out a lot of hope for that. But believe me, the cities are working together to try to uh, uh, make sure that the state is aware of our needs and, and uh, advocate for those dollars. All right. Any other thoughts for staff? Comments on certainly uh, the cafe. Uh, you know, holding off on the, the cafe fees makes a lot of sense. It seems the restaurants are going to need as much floor area as possible uh, with meeting the, the distancing requirements. It, in some way, it may make create a you know kind of an interesting scene on the street if more area uh, is occupied by the diners. Um, the, what were the other two? One was on reopening, the, just the reopening plan. Was that? Yeah, I, it, I'm pleased with what I'm hearing. I think we're, we're taking a conservative approach, uh, very mindful of the potential of things going haywire. Uh, so I'm, I'm very pleased with that. And I don't recall what the third was the third item. The water rate <laughs> delay and the water rate increase. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, that is part of something we're going to be looking at with respect to uh, potential response to help uh, mitigate the impacts on, you know, those who are especially hit by the, by the uh, COVID. So, I mean, that's, that, I guess, would be part of our larger conversation, but um, it seems reasonable to defer the increase. This is Pauline. Uh, thank you, Dennis, for that presentation. Uh, we were all, of course, in the back of our minds thinking there's going to be a major impact, but to actually see the numbers in black and white uh, really tells the story. And that's it's kind of helpful if we're talking to uh, people in the community to, to know that kind of information. So thank you for putting all that together. Uh, as far as the sidewalk cafes, I, I would also agree that uh, that would be fine to, to put off uh, those uh, fees for them. But of course, encouraging them to um, maintain the safe distance if they do utilize those sidewalk cafes. Uh, we found that that's a major problem now, especially when the weather was nice, people were getting out and they were kind of forgetting, I think, to maintain that safe distance. Um, uh, waiting on the water rate increase, I, I, I agree with John. I think um, since people are wanting us to even just waive any fees at all, I think that that would be a good route to take. And as you'd said, Jeff revisited in, in October, so that would be a good time. Yeah, I would agree with staff's recommendations on waiving the cafe fees. I think our restaurants are just going to be hurting so badly financially anyway that any break that we can give them, uh, I think, makes sense. Um, same thing on delaying the water rate and revisiting that in three months. I'm fine with that. 
And then I'm comfortable with what staff is looking at right now for reopening. I would rather um, that we take a cautious approach to this and that's what I'm hearing from staff. So I'm supportive of those suggestions. Jeff, in your projections, are there time sensitive things that staff should, uh, that you would like them to weigh in on? I know that um, there's the furlough of hourly employees um, as well as maybe some delay in, reduce, um, in the reduction of capital uh, purchases and uh, projects. So I don't know if there's anything specific that has a date between now and next council meeting or soon after next council meeting that you would like us to weigh in on. Yeah, um, the only thing that'll come up between now and your next council meeting is we will uh, furlough the hourly workers who are not working for us. So we've been uh, holding those employees based on projected work schedules in normal times for you know, since mid-March. So for it's nearly two months, not quite two months. And those employees have been notified that they will be furloughed um, on the, I believe it's the 16th or 17th. Uh, so that is in progress, and if you wanted to change course on that, this would be your, your last opportunity to do so. Um, in terms of expense mitigation strategies, we're, we're heavily focused right now on, on the, the, um, uh, the, the equipment and the travel and some of those, some of the, the easier things to obtain. Uh, we're not going to fill some of the new positions that were authorized in the budget until we have a better level of comfort. Uh, with our budget situation. Um, we're not uh, looking at any immediate furloughs of permanent staff um, or um, uh, um, terminations or anything like that right now. Um, but as you did see, we do have a few areas in the in the city that, that are experiencing significant and immediate financial pressure. Um, and probably the most concerning for me is that parking fund. We, we can't continue to operate a full staff of parking employees with 10% of the revenue. We have fund balance to help us out a little bit. Um, and we have been moving employees on to, uh, uh, into other departments to try to lower expenses during this time. Um, but, but that can only last so long before we need to make some, some structural changes to that fund. Not quite there yet and not anything that you need to um, kind of debate or, or talk about between now and the next council meeting. Um, but if if we don't, if business doesn't open up in the next, you know, a couple months and, and we're not seeing people return and paying parking fees, then, uh, then we're going to have to have those discussions. What is the situation with the reimbursement of some fees that people have paid. We know that the parking ramp is, we've delayed that on our uh, agenda because of the Harrison Street parking. And I know that Dennis has the authority to go out and kind of negotiate on, on that behalf. But people are still in the in lurking around trying to figure out what we're going to do uh, there. And I understand that there's still that delay in maybe getting some answers back from uh, the Capital One Public Fund, and I think um, is their name. What about Senior Center? Are there any fees there? Because I know people have signed up for some programming that's been canceled, essentially. So what are some of the things that people have paid for in advance that they won't be able to utilize? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, Mayor, getting back to the parking, we do get a lot of questions from permit holders on rebates, and I still think the council needs to, to give good, you know, consideration to rebating those, those uh, parking permit numbers. Um, we'll have to return to you after we can navigate the situation on the Harrison Street deck. We're just not quite there yet. Um, if you had signed up for a rec program, whether through Parks and Recreation or the Senior Center, and that was canceled, you get your refund on that. Um, the Senior Center does have membership dollars and we have not been rebating those. We continue to try to provide uh, as many services to those members as we can through online outreach, telephone calls, and those things. So the Senior Center will probably be the last facility we open up because of the um, elevated risk that uh, older Americans have with, with COVID. So if uh, you know we're opening other facilities up in June, it may not be till you know, July until we open up the, the senior center. I'm just kind of picking dates there, but that's our that's our current thoughts on on reopening. So the longer it extends at the senior center, the more we might have to think about um, rebating some of those member fees. But I, um, at least as of right now, our staff's working really hard to try to serve those members in a different way. All right. Just, well. Okay, Mayor, I just want to ask Jeff again. I, I also support the recommendation of the staff, but I, I want to ask if you remind me, how much is the cafe fees for the whole year that we're going to waive? It's roughly about 50000 but I don't think if we if we charged cafe fees this year, I don't think we'd get anywhere near 50000 50000 would be in a regular year uh, with the financial impact that... Um, that the, the restaurants have taken downtown, I don't think a lot of them probably could afford to, to pay those fees um, or would choose to, to forego those because of the financial pressure. So hard to say what we would get, but some something less than 50,000. Okay, you know, it is okay. Yeah, I agree that and I support it. I know that as Susan Mims said, uh, they were going for like really hardship by closing and they have rent to pay, they have a lot of things to do. Yeah, I understand that. And we can go ahead and do that. But I wanna just like remind all of you, uh, the council and the staff, if we can do something for business, of course we can do something for residents as well. We have to think about if we can have almost 50,000 or maybe 30,000, it doesn't matter uh, for business people because they have impact. We, we have to think about also waiving the wet water bill for the very low-income people who live paycheck to paycheck. Yes, keep on that, keep in that mind, you're waiving 50,000. Also remember the very low-income people who cannot pay the water bill. I understand in your, in your email you said uh, the other cities like Coroville and, and North Liberty are not doing it, and they are... Uh, maybe working with the resident of payment plan or something like that. Yeah, you know, they can do whatever they wanna do, but we as a city, if we can do something for business, we have to do something for residents as well. And that's what I hope to get into on, on at your next work session. I hope to provide you some options on things that, that we could do, and you all have to be comfortable from a financial standpoint to do that. I just wanted that feedback on sidewalk cafes, knowing that the governor has opened um, businesses in other parts of the state and she could open up restaurants before your next council meeting. That's the that's the reason I wanted to get that in front of you tonight. Sure, thank you. 
Jeff, has any discussion uh, taken place in terms of the uh, outdoor seating of expanding the uh, amount of area where that could take place by, say, looking at reducing street parking, uh, at least on certain downtown streets? I know that would impact our parking availability, but it sounds like we have lots of room in the ramps. So, um, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, Darian and I uh, and Mark Rummel had uh, that conversation today, actually, about some of our delivery zones and, and leaving uh, extra delivery pickup carryout zones throughout the summer um, in, until we really see our ramps pick back up. Um, because we we do want to continue to encourage people to. To, to grab and go as much as possible too. And I don't think that's gonna change throughout the summer. Um, I have a call tomorrow with Nancy Bird, the downtown district. And, and I know one of the things we're gonna talk about are, are cafe modifications that can be made uh, temporarily for this year, maybe taking up some parking spaces, um, allowing some, some greater footprints. Um, I think there may be some opportunity to do that. We're going to have to get kind of creative. The, the challenge is, is probably the biggest challenge in my mind. I, I haven't reached out to, to all the staff yet is, is alcohol. Um, I think as we expand, um, we're probably not going to be able to expand the liquor license footprint just because there's so many uh, uh, state approvals uh, and city council approvals that are, are needed with that. It's, a, it's just quite a, lo a, a large process. But you know, to the extent that we can extend it for non-alcoholic purposes, I think we should. I think we should look at that. So, an example may be um, uh, a a business that that currently can't have a cafe um, uh, because they're not a restaurant, but they may be like a like a yogurt store. You know, can we allow them to put a couple of seats outside? Whereas in the past, we we haven't allowed that. Um, or um, taking up a few extra spaces on Dubuque Street in the, in the parking stalls where we've limited uh, the amount of encroachment in the parking stalls in years past. Maybe we can expand that a little bit more, uh, knowing that our deck capacity is going to be greater. So I suspect we'll have some, some proposals to talk to you about. Um, and I know the downtown district's very interested in, in having that conversation. Thanks. That's good. I have one last comment about the parking wondering if council wouldn't be interested in looking at all of the parking the other parking ramps and not doing harrison parking right now unfortunately maybe the people that are at harrison park parking lot won't understand why they're not also allowed not to get some refunds back um, that's one thing that jeff just mentioned so i at least wanted to bring it up to see what council thoughts were on there Actually, Mayor, it's it's um, the, you can't do it on a deck basis because the Harrison deck, the revenue coverage applies to our whole system. It's not a deck by deck um, uh, arrangement with that bond. When we, we we committed to using all parking revenues for that that coverage, and so um, thanks for the clarity, Dennis. Maybe you can maybe you can clarify the the slides that you showed today on the parking had the unassigned fund balance. We also have the assigned fund balance, so uh, that would be used to pay off the Harrison Street deck if we if we get it. Can you explain the difference there, Dennis? Sure. Um, you know, unassigned fund balance essentially is available to use for whatever purpose <clears throat> or whatever you want to spend those dollars on in relationship to that fund. Um, there are assigned funds um, within that parking fund for debt service uh, and other purposes, and those are monies that we get in such as parking impact fees 
or a debt service coverage we put money aside to pay that debt service. And, and so those funds were not shown because they're already being restricted towards another purpose. So our intent would be to take uh, those funds that we have set aside for um, the, the debt payment and parking impact, uh, as long as some of that fund balance that you were seeing um, for the unassigned and use that to pay off that lease purchase agreement. And uh, that balance is going to be about $6.8 million after June 1st. And by paying that off, it really lifts those covenants. And so you don't necessarily have to meet that, that coverage requirement, um, that the stipulation of it, which allows you, if you want to go equal revenues and expenses, you would be allowed to do that because the, the couple one or the, the leaseholder wouldn't be put, keeping those restrictions on you. Um, so, Although it frees you up to not meet those debt coverage requirements, it still doesn't eliminate your cash flow issue, in which case your uh, revenues are less than your expenditures. And when you're operating a deficit, and then if we take that cash and pay off that lease, we have a smaller cash footprint, which means that that deficit spending is going to get to zero faster. So you kind of got a little bit of a puzzle there is if you spend that cash down to get rid of that coverage requirement, but then now you have less cash to cover your deficit spending. So, you know, it's, it's kind of figuring out which is the lesser of the evils there. Um, you know, following our discussion tonight and, and looking and I've been trying to track essentially the parking financials every week on a daily, weekly basis. Um, I, I believe that this extends past May and through the end of June, um, essentially, we'll almost have no alternative other than to approach Capital One to call that lease in. Um, otherwise, we would have to take uh, a greater action to, to shore up those financials. Um, that would allow us, uh, without that coverage hanging over our head, to make those refunds. Um, and, and that would be fine to the extent that we have cash in the bank. And um, you know, that would be the, the one particular issue then, you know, when we get to the end of this fiscal year and looking ahead is how are we going to bring the revenues expenses back into line, uh, let alone have to worry about meeting those coverage requirements. Hopefully when you talk to Capital One's public fund and they may say to you, because of COVID-19, we've kind of waived some of our requirements. You never know. So, um, but it's possible they could, and, and that does also present other issues. Um, because you know, then, then it may require some certain disclosures on our part. And, and so there's, there's just issues with whatever approach we take. And right now we're working with our bond council and our financial advisor to determine uh, which of those is the lesser of the evils <laughs> in front of us um, to really just make the best decision possible for the city. All right. Well, thanks to the city staff for all of their work on projecting um, giving us some projections that we can think about between now and next council meeting. And I understand Jeff will come back with some more recommendations about COVID-19 updates at our next council meeting on the 19th. So thanks to all of you. Now we're going to, if council is in agreement, we may delay our strategic planning conversation today as I anticipated. Um, what are people thinking? We have about 
what, 20 minutes? Not even? Yeah, I don't think that's sufficient information packets agenda. Yeah, all right, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> all right, we'll move on. We're gonna do clarification of agenda items. But thanks, Ashley, for being prepared to assist us with that tonight. formal agenda. I know that there's quite a few people that um, I've talked to about item 8C and we've got lots of emails about the prairie restoration. Um, I understand during our public, public comment, uh, we have several people signed up to speak tonight. And so even with us having about 20 minutes now, um, just wanna <clears throat> remind council um, we can certainly talk about this now or wait until our public comments come in. But the question that I have is for staff, um, do you all have any thoughts or recommendations based on the feedback that has come to council? Yeah, I could take that, Mayor. I, I appreciate it. Um, just to give you a, kind of the lay of the land here, um, you have already approved the contract, so th this is not up for a vote tonight. Um, however, um, Julie has not executed that contract yet. Uh, we were working through the Benton Hill uh, Park issue um, and before that contract was, was signed. So um, uh, Julie and I have been talking and uh, kind of taking cues from the, the discussion on Benton Hill Park. Um, we have gone through the list of the 18 locations and have reduced the total amount of prairie um, and uh, believe that um, the areas that we are now focused on, uh, well, well, maybe not supported by, by everybody in town, I think would be viewed as, as pretty non-controversial. So um, we did take Benton Hill Prairie out. I don't think that there was really gonna be a workable solution with the, with the neighborhood there. Um, we also uh, reduced the scope of prairie in uh, Kiwanis uh, Park, um, taking out a, a, a new swath of prairie that was gonna be located in front of the playground and concentrating the prairie where it already is, just expanding that out a little bit more. And then along the creek uh, for stabilization purposes along the creek. Uh, we'd also have removed prairie from Villa Park, um, reduced it in City Park, reduced it in Scott uh, Park and um, reduced it substantially in Willow Creek Park. Um, and the Willow Creek Park is where the council has heard the most uh, criticism of the plan. Um, our goal there would be uh, to reduce it from nearly 10 acres to I'm guessing, uh, you know, maybe two or three acres and preserving the open areas that the residents were most concerned about. So what's most critical in, in Willow Creek and Kiwanis Park is that we establish a good prairie buffer along the creek. Uh, some of the residents have talked to you about the, the, the condition of that creek. Um, and over the last uh, year or so, our staff has been going in there. We've cut out a lot of the, the trees along the creek that were contributing to um, some erosion that we were having in there. And our plan was to come in with prairie and really try to stabilize those uh, stream breaks naturally. So 
there are some areas um, that I don't believe uh, are in our kind of open play areas that, that you've heard about um, that we would keep prairie, uh, but the large, uh, the large swaths of open area would remain turf grass. So um, I don't have specific numbers for you, but I'm guessing we're, we're, staff has a, a proposal we've worked out to go from about 86 acres to maybe maybe 50, 60 acres, somewhere in that, in that ballpark. And again, uh, we've been um, looking at all the comments coming in and uh, I think Villa Park and, and certainly Willow Creek have been the two that have uh, raised the most concerns. So uh, what we're hoping to do is to get your approval to proceed tonight. I know you don't have that complete information. Now we have to take a little bit of a leap of faith here. We, we can delay it if you want us to forward you that information and uh, you to, to debate it on the on the 19th. Uh, but we're really in prime planting season right now. And I know the, the contractor is ready to go <coughs> get their team in here and, and start with the planning. And we do think we have a number of areas that won't be controversial. I just want to ask you, Jeff, how did you come up with the uh, amount of reduction for Willie Clear back? Did you contact the resident? Did you talk to them? And I just want to know that. Please. Uh, no, we, we saw the, a lot of the same emails that, that you did. So we, we looked at the content of those emails where they were focused on, and they're really uh, in large part focused in the areas where uh, people can run around, play Frisbee, play soccer, uh, all, the, all the things that you, you saw, uh, picnic and, and that sort of thing. So we left those open areas um, uh, as they are, and then again, focused on the, the, the the piece kind of nearest the, the creeks. So both along Benton Street near the creeks, and then as you get further down, kind of into the heart of the park um, uh, along the creeks there. Again, I don't think it'll impact the, the usability of the park. Um, uh, and I think we try to preserve as much of the usability as possible. I really, you know, because I, I being seeing, I used to live the, in that area and I being seeing like a lot of people on the west side using Willie Click back during the summer for soccer, for a lot of things. That park is really busy during summertime. And uh, I guess Bolin also kind of, she can talk to that because she been, uh, it is in her neighborhood. Uh, but uh, given the fact that there is no a lot of bark in that area, that's why a lot of people from the west side, like even like when you uh, cross, uh, Mormon Creek, all the people who live there, they come to this park. And I hope if you can meet with the residents like via online meeting or anything, just to get to get feedback between now and the next meeting. If, uh, no, I'm not meaning you, I mean like the bar contract, Mary Julie or somebody who is taking care of this because those people can give you feedback about what exactly happening there and why they, they don't want the prairie there. Please, if you can do that, would be great. John Thomas and I uh, spent a great length of time. I think John was over an hour last Saturday uh, walking Kiwanis and Willow Creek with several of the neighbors that had written some letters. We contacted them and we met and we talked and walked walked along the area. Um, I think they're, they're, they mostly were very frustrated and felt that uh, com the community engagement aspect of, of this was did not take place. So they were frustrated, but... Uh, they weren't confrontational. I, I was impressed, and I applaud them for contacting us. Uh, they were very passionate. Uh, they love their park. I love the park. I live less than a block away from it, and, and echoing what Mazahir said, of course, now it's under construction, which is another double whammy for them. Uh, we're still waiting on, on the completion of uh, the playground area, 
But as, as we walked along, uh, the creek is in big need of, of some maintenance. And so if, if uh, the planting of the prairie along the creek beds would help uh, to uh, stop that erosion, I, I, I would agree with that immensely. And I think the, the residents that we talked with, and John, you can, you can echo this too, if, if you remember that, that they talked about along the creek would probably be uh, acceptable also. So, so I'm, I'm very much in favor and, and thank you, Jeff and Julie, for reducing the scope uh, of this project. Uh, and, and limiting it to some of the areas that were maybe less controversial from some of the things we heard from these residents too is when when you burn the prairies and, and that uh, goes into the air and so it's not very uh, conducive to planting prairies near residential areas. So I, I think you, it looks as though you looked at that also some of the less controversial areas. Um, but I would also stress and the, the residents talked about this at great length too is we've got to have a definite maintenance plan for those prairie areas. Because um, looking at that Kiwanis Park Prairie, uh, it, it's in bad need of, of some help. And so I think we need to maybe have a person designated as the prairie, uh, prairie uh, maintenance person so that we keep on top of these areas. But yeah, I'm very much in favor and, and applaud you for reducing the scope and, and um, in the areas that you selected, I approve. Yeah. I uh, like Pauline, um, looked at all the various sites, the 18 sites, <clears throat> and, you know, what I really kind of landed at was where the sites that were the least risky with respect to um, any kind of blowback from residents are those sites that are not in a residential context. So that, that seemed like kind of a, an obvious uh, observation, but there actually are some fairly significant pieces of this plan where, where that's the case. Um, you know, we, we've gotten responses at Willow. Uh, Willow Kiwanis clearly was, um, you know, kind of an overreach in terms of the conversion, and it, it created quite a backlash. And so my feeling at this time, and I'm a strong believer in the importance of community engagement as a starting point, anytime the city is initiating actions uh, in a facility, in a park facility where it could have an impact on the everyday lives of those who use the park, there has to be that engagement. Um, and then as we've noted there, with, with Willow Creek, Kiwanis and Benton, there was also a backstory that contributed to the tensions. So, so my feeling on Kiwanis Willow is that any any work related to the creek restoration and st stabilization that overlaps with our prairie restoration, um, I think is, is, a, is a reasonable piece of the work. Uh, I'm beyond that feeling that there really would need to be a conversation between the neighborhood and the staff uh, with respect to any expansion of prairie. So. Um, and I think in, in part it has to do with the, you know, the condition of the existing prairie. So, um, you know, I, I'm not really supportive of the idea of expanding, and I'm not saying I'm opposed to it, um, but I think for it to move forward, uh, it would need the support of the community. And then since, since Willow Creek, uh, I, you know, asked... Uh, some people that I know in Manville Heights, I, I don't know if you've all had a chance to read the correspondence on that, 
But what I'm finding is, is that when I reach out, um, and I also reached out to some of the board members on Hickory Hill Park, that uh, when I reach out, there is an acknowledgement that these projects that are embedded within neighborhoods have the potential for a response like we've been seeing elsewhere. Uh, it may be just simply that they don't know. And every time they, they do know, there's that chance that they will respond in a, in a negative way. So that, that would apply, in my view, in, in looking at the sites to Hunter's Run, uh, Blooming, the Bloomington Prairie, which is Hickory Hill, uh, Crandick, which is the Manville Heights condition, um, and to a lesser extent, uh, Taft Speedway, where most of the project is away from residential areas, but there are some lots uh, along the riverfront there that uh, are interspersed with the existing residential. Um, and then Wolf, Wolfbrook Prairie uh, is another, uh, which is surrounded by residential. I know that it's no mow. Um, but changing from no mow to prairie is a change. And um, so there too, again, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to suggest that I don't want these projects to move forward, but I think there is a risk if they move forward without some form of community engagement. I'm, I'm comfortable with staff's recommendation in terms of you frozen i wonder if you turn your video off and turn it back on um, we might be able to hear you great are you able to hear me yes yes okay um i i think as an organization we have um underestimated the passion that um, our community members have for their parks and particularly as i think as you've said john the neighborhood parks that are in those residential areas and while it is, is really time consuming, I think we have to find a way um, as we move forward, and I'm not saying for every single one of these projects, but just as a matter of, of the way we do things in the future of being a little bit more proactive in somehow reaching out to residents and showing them what we're thinking and what the proposals are and getting feedback from them before we get so far down the line. And like I say, I realize that can be incredibly time consuming for staff, but I think the amount of blowback we've seen here has shown us, you know, like, as I said, how passionate people are and we have to be responsive to that. So I'm glad that staff is responding to the input that we've gotten, but Having said that, I'm comfortable moving forward with staff making those judgments um, on this contract. I also think, oh, sorry. Thank you, Mayor. I was just going to say that I, I really appreciate um, staff's responsiveness to the public input that we've gotten. Like Jeff mentioned, we did approve this um, contract at the last meeting, I think, with the understanding that some of the other areas could be controversial and balancing the different priorities that we have to balance in terms of what the prairie provides for the community. So I think that what what staff has proposed, I'm I'm in favor of in terms of um, really reducing the area in those um, residential, you know, the neighborhoods where we know it is controversial, and listening to the feedback that we've provided to scale it back 
in a way that will make sense without completely eliminating what we know is a necessary part of improving the environment in some of these places. Um, I, I would agree in general. I, I also think that part of the conversation needs to be very specifically about what the benefits of prairie are, why it is helpful to have it, what it does for the soil, what it does for the environment, what it does for pollinators. And while, I mean, we saw in some of the, in the, in some of the correspondence, and I think in some things that some people um, sent to me directly, there is a lot of, there's a lot of clover that's been mixed with, with turf grass in some places, and that provides habitat for pollinators, but it's really not the same. Um, so it's, there's a constant push and pull with, the need to, um, with the with a very real need to engage the community and at the same time provide the 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 information education we want um, a robust climate action plan. This is a piece of our climate action plan, um, and we need we need to figure out how we engage people and bring them along with this so that we can move forward with the climate action plan and in a successful way. I. I think at this uh, time, since we've already done the approval, staff is making some recommendations. My suggestion would be, um, because I've heard a lot of counselors talking about that opportunity for the community to be engaged. I think even now with the staff recommendations, even though I have some um, thoughts of support for some of it, but I also know that people in the community that that have weighed in may have some thoughts or actually would be like would like the opportunity to be, to be a part of a conversation and so what i would suggest at this point is that during our when we get to the formal agenda of course under the consent calendar we can certainly talk more about this one um jeff you might want to consider making a uh, public comment about what your thoughts are but I think the greater consideration for council would be, and we can continue this conversation, do we want to ask for a step back before implementing what staff has suggested just to allow the opportunity to do a Zoom meeting um, of some sort? I don't know. But for the sake of time, I don't think that we can probably go into that right now. Um, why don't we... Does someone have a comment? So it's, it's about two minutes to our typical cutoff time. Why don't we go through info packets and then if we find that we're not going to be successful within maybe two to three minutes, <laughs> then we can come back after our formal agenda. So info packet April 23rd. Info packet April 30th. Items five and six, the letters. I just wanted to say that I, I felt they were very well written, incorporated all the thoughts and concerns that, that we shared with you about what to include in the letters. Um, so I, I think they were very good. Yes, that's true. Any other thoughts on that? And then council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. And actually what we'll do 
is when we give our updates at our formal meeting, we'll add all of that at the same time. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So we'll be back in 15 minutes.